The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. But you don't know why I'm here. Hey! Hey! Oh, it's okay! Alright! It's Sting! Okay! It's, it's Sting! This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. CW Monday Nitro, where the big boys play every Monday night at 8 on TNT. Hello and welcome to Nitro Nights and Happy New Year. Well, Happy New 1996 if you're watching along with us, I guess, because today's episode of Nitro Nights is taking a look at the January 1st. 1996 episode of Monday Nitro. But it is not just I gazing back through possibly rose-tinted glasses at times, I must be honest, at this era of professional wrestling that I hold so dear. It is not just me. I am joined, as always, by the always brilliant, entertaining and insightful wrestling encyclopedia himself, Scottish Danny. How are we doing, bud? Happy New Year, sir. I'm doing Happy really well. <laughs> <laughs> um, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, not bad, mate. Not bad. It is quite warm. In this little room where I record today, it is going to—it's quite a warm one in a well, in quite sunny Gloucester this Saturday afternoon. So, yeah, quite muggy yeah. and sweaty up here, I think. Yeah, same, pretty much here in Kent. Yeah, but I'd rather that than the alternative, mate. I'd rather that than rain or cold or whatever. So, can't complain, can we? No, you can't. Not at this stage. There we go. This episode of Nitro Nights, then, as I said, is looking at the very first WCW TV show of 1996. We made it, Danny. We're in 1996 at last. Who thought we'd made it? We, we made it, sir. Definitely. <laughs> uh, yes, the January 1st, 1996 episode of Monday Nitro coming to us from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, our ratings on the old TV spectrum for this Monday night is a slight win for Monday Night Raw, 2.6 for them, and Nitro with a 2.5 in the television ratings overall. So a slight win, but not much in it at all. And our show starts with us getting uh, the wonderful news that your hero and mine, Mr. Hulk Hogan, is no longer suspended because it is 1996. And as is the way, it's his first day back, so he gets a world title shot, Danny, because that's how things work. I couldn't believe it when uh, that announcement was made, but I can just picture Hulk Hogan, the man, just sitting there by his phone, uh, looking at the clock on the wall, thinking, oh, it's 12.01, 12.01, I'm going to get a world title shot. But yeah, <laughs> this uh, this surprised me very much, being that he wasn't the world champion um, five days before this, was he? 
no, this is it. This is it. And <laughs> it's quite a funny one. So obviously, this is the first Nitro off the back of Starcade, Starcade 95. So we've, we've had a new world champion crowned in the always awesome Ric Flair. And, you know, he, he beat Randy Savage for the championship with a little bit of help from the Four Horsemen, which, you know, as a big WCW Horseman, Jim Crockett Promotions fan, I bloody loved. And um, <laughs> here we're told that Savage is more concerned with getting his hands on Arn Anderson because Anderson played a big role in him losing the championship, the previous event, rather than getting a rematch. So Hogan is going to face Flair for the world title instead. Now, here, early 96, I'm a little bit hazy in my memory as to where the world title goes from person to person around this time. So I'm not going to lie. When I heard that Hogan was in the main event of this episode of Nitro, his first show back, and it's a world title match after being suspended. First of all, I thought, well, that's bollocks. That makes absolute zero sense to me. But second, I started thinking, oh, God, does, does Hogan win the title back here? And I started to really be quite concerned about that possibility, Danny. Did did you have any inkling about what was going to happen at the end of the show? I, I had the, that exact same fear too, Si. Um, that, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a fear because of the way Hulk Hogan works. You think automatically he's going to win the world title, don't you? Mm, yes, indeed. But we will come to that at the end of Nitro Nights, the, the, the main event. We will come to that shortly. So our opener is, as I mentioned, Randy Savage seeking revenge for his world title loss, still sporting the bandages on his injured arm, wrestling the enforcer, Arn Anderson, and we get a full Arn Anderson entrance. Music, four fingers in the air, whole shebang. I say it every single week, it seems, but how cool is Arn Anderson? He's really cool, sir. Um, and yeah, that def- I definitely marked out for that full entrance. Yeah, without a doubt, mate, without a doubt. The match starts with, you know, a bit of brawling. Then we end up with fighting outside. And then something that I've noticed about this episode of Nitro. And I mean, we'll we'll come to it next week as well, because obviously for those at home, a little peek behind the curtain. Danny and I often record two episodes in a sitting. So we've actually watched both episodes of Nitro coming up. But we're starting with this one, obviously, because it's running in date order. Something I noticed with this episode and it goes into next as well. We get a lot of jabs here at the WWF, don't we? A lot. I mean, Mongo here refers literally straight off the bat. We're in the first couple of moments of the show. Mongo on commentary refers to the WWF as the Kitty Cat League. Yeah, this doesn't age well. Um, there, uh, there was another one about the Royal Bowl that will be coming up later. But I mean, yeah, they they'd been offered this for a few weeks, hadn't they? Mm. Yeah, and obviously the Monday Night Wars, we understand it. They were they they, they did take shots at each other and so on and. I suppose WCW and Bischoff were, I don't know, it's difficult to say, because I was about to say, you're watching it back now, I get the impression that Nitro and WCW and, and Bischoff were quite childish and um, unnecessary with some of their jabs. But then on the other side of the coin, or the other channel, I guess, the WWF were running the, the you know, the, the Huckster and Nacho Man and Scheme Gene and Billionaire Ted skits which were probably worse than just dropping a few lines into commentary, I guess. Have you seen those in the past, Danny? If you have, what are your thoughts on those? Oh, yes. That was, um, I believe that was the first appearance of Vince Russo on WWF television. Um, he played one of the, um, the uh, what do you call them? Writers, yeah, executives. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. He played one of them um, and it was, yeah, they, I just found them very, very silly. Yeah. 
Yeah, but apparently ratings-wise, they didn't do too badly. People would actually watch them. So that's a bit of an odd one for me. But there we go. There we go. We, we're sort of digressing a touch again. Um, this match here, Savage versus Arn Anderson, these are two proper pro wrestlers doing, in my mind, proper pro wrestling. It, it's a good match. There's a few moments that are a bit wobbly, but we'll come to that in a moment. But overall, I enjoyed this because, again, I'm a huge Iron fan, as I keep mentioning virtually every single week. And we see all the, the, the high spots. We see Arn working the arm and the commentators discussing how methodical Anderson can be and how he knows so many different holds and different ways of hurting you. And at one stage, I think it was Bobby Heenan said, Arn Anderson is so proficient at, at what he's doing, he could break every bone in a chicken wing without splitting the skin. What a line that was. I thought that was fantastic. That was incredible. Uh, yeah, I definitely popped for that. I mean, there is a moment here that I wasn't too fond of, and that's where Anderson is in the ring. He's taken a bit of a shot to the head, and he's staggering around, and he turns his back on Randy Savage long enough for Savage to climb the ropes and then hit the double axe handle. That that was a bit forced for me. That was a little bit like, okay, well, that, that took me out of the moment there. That wasn't quite believable. But at the same time, you know, I, I'm sort of grasping at straws here. I'm complaining about little tiny things, because overall, as I said, this match I really enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, this was a great way to start 1996. I mean, as you said, it's just two great pro wrestlers doing pro wrestling things. Um, yeah, it was a good way to get uh, fans to tune in as well. Mm. We get an issue here as well with a referee where Anderson is applying an armbar and he's close enough to the ropes for him to use the ropes to aid him in a proper heel way, I guess, behind the referee's back. But... Also, being that close to the ropes means that, you know, at one point, Randy Savage's backside is against the bottom rope. Another stage, his legs are under the bottom rope. And I'm thinking, well, the referee should just break the hold, surely, because that's the rules. And again, it's just one of those moments that made it, I, I suppose, a little bit tatty, a little bit rough around the edges, maybe. Yeah, I can see that as well. Um, I, I That's the only one complaint I had about this match was the ref bump. Um, anything else I really enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, Anderson hits his fantastic DDT at one point, and it, it is just one of the best. I love Anderson's DDT. Then we do get a ref bump. You're right, Danny. And the, the the brass knucks come out again that were used last night at Starcade. But Anderson kind of drops them, and Savage gets hold of them. Savage punches Arn. He drops like a sack of crap, and that's how Randy Savage wins the match. So... I mean, it's interesting seeing the tables get turned and the heel, I suppose, getting a taste of his own medicine. But it's also quite funny with the, the whole Savage viewpoint in that Savage has had to use an outside item and an illegal weapon, so to speak, to get his revenge on losing the world title because the horseman used uh, an outside weapon to cost him the world championship. It's kind of a, uh, in a way, it felt like a bit of a, sh a shallow victory. It wasn't a proper a sort of proper revenge, I suppose. Yeah, I can definitely see your point with that. Um, what I found really interesting was um, when Brian Pillman and Chris Benoit came out and started screaming at the referee, it brought me back to that story about Chris Benoit screaming at the Miz years later after this. And how scary must that have been to have an irate Chris Benoit screaming in your face? Well, yeah, there is that. There is that. But uh, I mean, this obviously leads to something slightly later in the show, which is a really interesting 
almost slow burn story we're getting at the moment with the horsemen. But I mean, it, it basically that that moment arrives at the end of our next match. So we'll have a look at what we have next. And that is another match that I really enjoyed again. And I suppose if you're into wrestling and I mean like, you know, wrestling, wrestling, proper wrestlers doing wrestling moves, as opposed to flipping and flying around, which again, can be very entertaining, but if you're into proper wrestling, if you watch a match between William Regal and Chris Benoit, you're pretty much guaranteed to get some enjoyment out of it on some level, Danny, aren't you? Big time. Um, that's something that me and Chris Bellis are looking at in the future. One man's meet episode. We're going to look at these type, these um, two having a lot of matches that they had. And uh, this match definitely didn't disappoint. Mm, no, it was excellent. It was excellent. I mean, there was so much good in it and so many great you know, sort of move for move and counter spots and so on that if I was to sit here and, and list them all off and run through the match in, in the order, we'd be here till this time tomorrow. And I know our, our listeners probably don't want to hear me do that because I think it's quite a monotonous way of explaining a match anyway. But if you are, if you check out one wrestling match this week, I recommend you go and look at Regal versus Benoit from the, the January 1st episode of Monday Nitro 1996. It's basically a mat clinic. Uh, we do eventually in the match, however, get a few higher spots, I suppose. Benoit misses his top rope headbutt, which always looks quite spectacular to me when he, when he goes leaps off the top rope with his arms outstretched. He also misses a plancher to the outside. But then we get a tombstone attempt by Regal, which Benoit counters. And that tombstone was fantastic because if you watch Regal, his arms are flailing around trying to fight it right until the last second when he then cups Benoit's legs to sort of protect himself. Absolutely brilliant. But then we yeah. have a really strange finish. And that's the one snag I had with this match, the really odd finish. Do you want to talk us through that one, Danny? Yeah, it was it was odd to me as well. I mean, Chris Benoit goes for a dive outside, basically lands on the floor on himself, and then Regal just rolls him in and then gets the clean one, two, three. It was a bit uh, odd, wasn't it? It was like, I thought William Regal would have had to cheat to win in this. Well, I mean, to be fair, he, he did have a handful of tights as well. But yeah, it, w- it was a thing of, I was just sat there expecting him to kick out because it seems like something of nothing. I mean, if you look at it realistically, Benoit's ran at full speed, dived through the ropes, hit his head on the concrete. That should, in theory, be enough to knock a guy out long enough for you to pin them, of course. But in wrestling terms, in the wrestling world, we see that kind of spot quite often, especially in today's product and in the, in the current product we're watching at the moment. So I was just sat out expecting the kick out when it didn't happen. I was literally sat on my sofa like, Oh, okay. Well, that was really odd. And it kind of completely threw me. Yeah. I could see that because these days you, that wouldn't even get a one count. Would it? No, probably not. Probably not. There we go. Um, after the match, I mean, Gene enters the ring and he's there. He's, he's joined basically with the four horsemen minus Ric Flair. And Pillman is running down Arn Anderson and Chris Benoit because they both lost their matches this week. Arn explains our job as a horseman, and Arn is the one to know this because he's always been there. He's trying to explain to Pillman our job is to protect that world title at all costs. And he mentions about Pillman starting fires all over the place and that Arn has to keep going around and putting these fires out, like with Orndorff and so on. And he says, if there's no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, don't go chasing it. And again, Anderson here is just absolutely brilliant, believable to the point. Everything he says makes sense. But you've kind of got that, I suppose, little bubbling away under the surface here of Pillman thinking that the horseman shouldn't be losing matches. Whereas Anderson is saying, look at the bigger picture here. It's about the world title and the money and almost the old school horseman mindset of Arn Anderson. 
and then the newcomers maybe having a slightly different viewpoint to where the horsemen should be heading. What, what, how do you how do you take this at the moment? And Danny, watching this for, for the first time, watching this through fresh eyes, how are you feeling about the horsemen as a whole at this particular time? I'm loving it at the moment. Um, you've got a long term story uh, telling happening here, but how great did that leather uh, trench coat look on um, Brian Pillman's eye? <laughs> yeah <laughs> that mop and mad curly hair long trench coat yeah really good really good I it, think was the ve- it, was, it was very 1996 wasn't it oh without a doubt without a doubt i think the horsemen they've always looked cool you know i mean Aaron obviously he's got a bit of a he's he's a bit you know gnarly in the face a bit of a bold spot going on and stuff as well but even then Aaron just wearing a t-shirt looks cool because he looks no nonsense and he looks believable flair's always in the suits and then the, the gangs and so on and then we have benoit who almost in a way looks like a a, a, a mini anderson i suppose in in the same t-shirt to sat there ready just to go to work and wrestle and so on and then pillman here just looks looks great as well in the trench coat and so on in early incarnations of course we had the suits uh, with the other horsemen and the likes of Sting, Luger, Wyndham, Tuddy, whoever was in the horsemen, they always just looked fantastic. And it really lent into the aura of this group, I feel. Yeah, it really helps uh, the, with the image. Yeah, exactly, mate. Exactly. This net breaking speed that we have here on this episode of Nitro, because it is an incredibly fast paced episode, they're fitting as much as they can in, into their hour slot here, continues with. Uh, a tag match with two of the biggest names in wrestling at the time, Sting and Luger in their sort of odd couple, you know, are they friends? Are they enemies? Who's going to turn on who kind of storyline going on, which I'm finding really intriguing in a tag match. And they are facing the team brought to us by Colonel Robert Parker of the super assassins. Now, again, we, we've seen Arn and we've seen Savage. We've then seen Benoit and Regal, the other horsemen, we get the main event of Flair and Hogan. And here we've got Sting and Luger. This is one stacked card, isn't it? It really is. It's like just so many wrestlers have already ha- appeared and so many more would appear. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think this tag match kind of, it kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit when I look back at the episode as a whole, because you do have the, the, the sort of brilliant singles opener with two huge names. And then the main event is obviously as big as it is. I think this tag match here with, with, you know, the guy who is synonymous with WCW in Sting maybe gets a little bit lost in the shuffle, potentially. What do you think when you look at the episode overall? Yeah, I could definitely see that point. Um, This is the first of the time we're seeing the uh, Super Assassins, isn't it, Si? Yes, yes, it is. And I I suppose, I mean, to me, it's kind of like uh, in this snippet here, it's kind of like how the show is being, I suppose, divided up and we get it again in the main event as well with regards to we're going into 96 and we're seeing things develop that we know are going to turn into great storylines, great characters. And we can kind of see where the company is already starting to shape itself and take form and so on months before the NWO and and the crow sting and all that. We're getting these cool storylines and cool performers and the, the fresh faces coming in. But then we get things like the Super Assassins who are coming to the ring in masks with Super Assassins written down their trunks, uh, tights, sorry. They've got these weird sort of tops on with a, a really odd kind of Superman symbol almost on the front. And they're with Robert Parker as well. 
it just screams 1985 to me. It just seems out of date. In the same way the Dungeon of Doom sometimes seems very out of date. These kind of feel the same. Did What did you think at first glance looking at the Super Assassin's tag team here? I thought that this was definitely going to be a squash, but I was actually pleasantly surprised because they got a lot of offense in, didn't they, So Yeah, they did. I mean, are you aware who the Super Assassins were? No, I actually forgot to look them up. Um, who are they? Okay. It's the Powers of Pain. It's the Barbarian and the Warlord from the WWF. Oh, wow. And obviously the, the Barbarian's been knocking around in WCW for a bit as well. Um, he, was he part of the Dungeon of Doom? I'm not sure. Not he probably sure. was. Everyone bloody was at one stage. <laughs> <laughs> I think you and me were part of the Dungeon of Doom at one point. Um, <laughs> I suppose because it's a heel tag team versus a babyface tag team and they're given a few minutes, you do get the heel team getting some offense in because they have to beat up the one babyface so he can get, get the hot tag and get the crowd going, which, which happens. The Super Assassins work over Sting for a duration of the match. Luger tags in, but we get the, the, the brilliant old school heel tag team aspect of when Luger tags in, the ref's distracted by the other Super Assassin so he doesn't see it, so has to send Luger back outside. Eventually, Luger does tag in and applies the rack to one of the super assassins to a huge reaction from the crowd again. Sting then somehow miraculously recovers from the beating he's took over the last five minutes in an instant, runs in the ring, applies the scorpion deathlock to the other super assassin, and we get the submission victory for the baby faces. So, I mean, overall, to me, a good TV match. What did you think? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think we've we've glossed over the beginning of this where uh, Craig Pittman uh, asks Mongo to be his um, manager and gets turned down, and that kind of took it out, took me out of the beginning of this match. But when it came back from the split screen, um, really good TV match, as you said, really good. Oh, I'm so glad you pulled me up on that because I've, I've even got a note about that. I've got a note about that in front of me, but I completely forgot about it. So I'm really glad you pointed that out. Yeah, the first few minutes of the match. Obviously, the screen is split, so we get in the, the same amount of screen for the wrestling as we do Pittman talking to the commentary team. But my eyes couldn't watch the wrestling. It was drawn to Pittman and what was going on over there. So I kind of didn't know anything that happened in those first couple of minutes because we were looking at Pittman asking asking Mongo to be his manager. What's that all about? I think he'd run out of people to ask because uh, he'd asked um, Jimmy Hart, Bobby Heenan, Rob Parker, God knows who else. And that's how he's going to the bottom of the barrel here. Yeah, fair point, mate. Fair point. (laughs) Uh, Straight after this, we have Mean Gene on the ramp. And I assumed that we were going to get an interview with Sting and Luger because of what happened at Starcade and the falling out or sort of falling out there. But we don't. We get told that Mean Gene is waiting for Jimmy Hart and he comes out with the giant. And Jimmy Hart just talks about he wants to wrestle anyone who goes to the top. So you'll see a lot of me. Well, some weeks I'll be with the giant. Other weeks I'll be with the Dungeon of Doom. Other weeks I'll be with Ric Flair. So I'm going to be around a lot. Oh, bloody goody. What a treat. I knew this would boil your piss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. We then get an advert for Clash of Champions, which is going to air on Tuesday, January the 23rd, 1996. Uh, the first Clash event we've come across in our watchback. Uh, quite excited about this, Danny, because they're, they, they're really plugging the hell out of this show and making yeah. references to the Royal Rumble and how much the Royal Rumble is going to cost and saying you can get the Clash event for nothing. Yeah, this is going to be my first um 
Clash of the Champions as well. I've never seen one. Um, are they like Saturday night's main event for the WWF? Yeah, similar, similar. Uh, we kind of had, I mean, Clash events, they were very much like that. Yes, they, they were sort of a, a two-hour show back in the back in their prime in the 80s and so on. They were a two-hour show that was three to broadcast quite often on a Saturday night. I think sometimes they're out on a Wednesday as well. And they would be treated almost like mini pay-per-views. And you would tend to find that titles would change hands on these events sometimes. But it would be quite hit and miss as to what you got. Some Clash events would be headlined by... Well, for example, in 1989, one Clash event was headlined by Ric Flair, Rick Steamboat, as part of their big trilogy. So that's a big, big deal. And then you'd get other Clash events that would be headlined by... I don't know, Steve Austin versus maybe a Bobby Eaton for the television title or something like that. So it'd be very you know, dependent upon when you're getting it, when you're watching it and so on. They always did pretty good numbers, as far as I remember, television-wise. But uh, you, And also sometimes the Clash event would be almost like a stepping stone to the next pay-per-view, going back pre-96, shall we say. So that was kind of always in the back of my mind watching them as well. But there are some fantastic matches to be found on old Clashes. Absolutely fantastic. I mean, there's some, there's some 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 classics with Rick Rude. He faces off against Steamboat, and uh, he also see he also faces Dustin Rhodes. I think on a Clash event from the early nineties. There's an excellent Clash main event with the Hollywood Blondes of Steve Austin and Brian Pillman, and they're facing Arn and Flair in a tag match. And there's best two out of three falls. That's very good. There's some real hidden gems on these Clash events that don't get, I suppose, the spotlight shone on them in the same way that maybe actual pay-per-views do. So yeah. I'm quite intrigued to see where we go for this clash, I think. Me too, um, especially since we've watched all the televisions. Um, we all know all the storylines. So I'm looking forward to um, this Clash of Champions on the 23rd. Yes, exactly, mate, exactly. Yeah, we'll cover that as an episode of Nitro Nights, of course. Hello everyone, my name is Tyler Peters, and let me tell you about my blog titled ClassicReviews.com. Classic Reviews discusses everything from pro wrestling to films, music, original concepts, and more. The blog recently spotlighted WWE superstar Becky Lynch and the Beach Boys. You can find Classic Reviews at www.tylerstakepodcast.wordpress.com and follow me at Dustin Tyler 86 on Twitter. I hope to see you all over there very soon. And that web address, once again, is www.tylerstakepodcast.wordpress.com. Uh, that's it then, I suppose, for this show, up to the main event. We've just, you know, again, as the show itself felt like, We've flown through it because there's so much good to talk about. And it's just wrestling, it seems, this week as well. There's not a lot of mean gene. There's not a lot of interviews left, right, and center. There's not a lot of cutting to Bischoff, Mongo, and Heenan. I mean, it does happen. Don't get me wrong. All of these things do happen. But they tend to be a lot more thin on the ground for this episode, as opposed to what seems like every five minutes, Danny. Do you, do you know what I'm getting at? Yeah, it flows a lot better, doesn't it? Um, and we had, I think, the longest thing we had in, to- in terms of a talking segment was the Four Horsemen, which was excellent as well. Yeah, definitely. 
I mean, I, I don't care how long a talking segment is with Arl Anderson. That guy could talk all day. I'd, I'd watch it. So, <laughs> but there we go. So then, on three television, given away for nothing, coming back from a suspension, the immortal Hulk Hogan going up against potentially the greatest wrestler of all time, Ric Flair, for the World Heavyweight Championship. First question for you, Danny. Did you see the world title at all? No. Um, no. Ric Flair had uh, his robe on. I just assumed it was underneath his robe. Mm. I assume that too, but we never got to see it. Now, I don't know if it was there, but we never saw the world championship, which is very strange. What also felt a little bit odd, considering especially where we're in Georgia, Hogan got a pretty good reaction. I found that odd as well. Um, yeah, I was expecting booze uh, all the way for the Hulkster, but I guess that suspension uh, angle worked. Well, yeah, absence makes the heart grow fonder, I guess, but we will see how long that lasts. And Ric Flair, again, the complaint I had on a previous Flair match we watched, may have been Starcade, I think, I'm not sure. Flair comes out again, and his boots, knee pads, and trunks don't match. So come on, Rick. His boots and knee pads match Hogan. That's what I wrote down in my notes as well. It's like they were tag team partners here, but except <laughs> Flair had the black um, uh, trunks on. But yeah, they matched. They were the exact same colour as Hulk Hogan. It's like he lost his... his. Um, actually, that could be a good... Uh, that could be actually... Uh, might have happened. Um, he lost his bag and he's just borrowed a, bo- a, um, a, t- a, a tacky pair of um, black trunks and Hulk Hogan's boots. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> I like the idea of that. But like, what, like when you went to school and you forgot your PE kit and you had to rummage around the lost property to try and find something to wear or whatever. That's what Flair's had to do here. It, yeah. maybe, maybe he's got his boots and his knee pads, but he ain't got no trunks. So he's rummaging around trying to find a pair of yellow trunks to match his kit. He can't. He's got to go to a lost property and just finds a manky old pair of black tights he's got to chuck on from like, I don't know, Blackjack Mulligan wore them in 1983 or something and left them behind or something like that maybe. <laughs> No, yeah, that's a that's a good point, though. But yeah, it's the exact same attire he was wearing at Starcade five days previous to this. Mm, yeah, there we go. I mean, this match is it is what it is. I think with with Ric Flair, I think Flair's capable of doing different stuff in a wrestling match. He's cap- there is obviously the the sort of stigma attached to Ric Flair that a lot of his matches are the same, and I can appreciate that as a big Flair fan. I watch Flair matches, and you do get a lot of the same spots. However. If you watch a lot of Flair's back catalogue extensively, you'll understand that that's not always the case. He has a lot more to him than what people sometimes uh, sometimes assume, I think. Hogan, on the other hand, especially when he's in the red and yellow, he's the All-American Hulk Hogan. Very much a set program of how things work, whether it's a tag or a singles, uh, exactly how the process is going to be, lots of selling, and then all of a sudden, no selling, at the wrong time for me. And then we get the whole hulking up and, you know, big boot leg drop. Everyone's aware of what I'm, what I'm running through. Really? This match here, I feel was very much normal Hogan and flair shtick. It was really a Hogan versus flair match paint by numbers. I guess it was kind of exactly what you would expect. However, I still pretty, I still enjoyed it. Yeah, it was very enjoyable. Um, you, like you said, we just got both of them kind of doing their what they use what they're known for doing. Um, I yeah, I liked it all overall. It, it felt like a main event. 
Yes. And what I liked as well is on commentary, the, I think it was Bischoff potentially said this would be a pay-per-view main event all over the world. And we're giving it to you on three television. And I like the fact they're pointing that out because if they didn't, I'd be thinking, you mugs, why this on pay-per-view? But the fact that they're pointing it out and explaining we're giving you everything from WCW, everything from Turner in January costs you nothing. You've got the Clash event, and he's trying to sell the Clash like it's going to be as big as a pay-per-view. But he said you've got the Clash event, and then all the Nitros and so on. On television, you have not got to pay for. Look at what we're doing for you, the fans, because you have made us number one. Then they get the dig in about the WWF, saying that their price of their pay-per-views has gone up. The price for the Raw Rumble is gone up, has gone up. And Raw isn't always live. It's most of the time pre-taped and all this sort of stuff. And they're trying to basically say, look at us. We're fantastic. The WWF is a state. It is, it is the whole angle of the commentary over the next week or so, I think. I mean, I can understand where they're coming from. And to be fair, they make a few jibes and, and a few name-calling moments and so on. But when Bischoff is talking like that, you can't really disagree with anything he says. He is just kind of telling the truth. Yeah, I mean, he's desperate to be number one, and you can see that. And, I mean, he's pretty much there, isn't he? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, if we have a look at the uh, the WWF in 96, we're heading towards the Raw Rumble. And I'm doing all this literally from memory, by the way. I've got, I, I weren't thinking that we were going to discuss this when we started recording. So if I give any false information or name any wrestlers and I'm not accurate, I apologize in advance. I'm doing this literally off the top of my head. But we're heading towards the 96 Royal Rumble, which Shawn Michaels would win. Diesel has effectively kind of turned heel at this stage. And then I think Bret Hart is the world champion at this point as well. He beat Diesel at the Survivor Series in 95, I think. So we've got a Bret Hart as world champion, a babyface Shawn Michaels about to win the Royal Rumble and go to WrestleMania 12 to face off with Bret Hart. And then Diesel kind of knocking around in this kind of weird getting cheers, but he's supposed to be a heel role. Now you take away those characters, and obviously Razor is knocking around in the mid card with the IC title as well. You take away those characters. Everybody else running around on the other channel is is a fucking plumber, or a uh, they play hockey, or they're a fucking dentist, or you know you've got Viscera who was Mabel, sorry, running around trying to be some kind of crazy gold dungareed rapper of some description and then you look at wcw and you've got benoit versus regal you've got eddie guerrero flying about all over the place you've got the horseman looking just just brilliant at this particular moment i can really understand where bischoff is coming from in saying watch our product because that to me it's night and day to me wcw uh, in january of 96 if you make a direct comparison not knowing where it's going if you make a direct comparison between Nitro and WCW in 1996 to the WWF product in 1996. This is far and away the vast, the, the, the better product to me, Danny. What are your thoughts? Because obviously you've seen a great deal of this doing effectively a very similar watchback form to us here on Nitro Nights on a change in attitude, looking at the WWF side. So what are your thoughts on the WWF product in early 96? I would say um, there's a saying that says... Uh, WW forced WWF to get better by forcing their hand with competition. Um, I think that's more evident in what you said, um, Sire, because uh, 
yeah, it's like they looked at WSW and said, we need to start getting more realistic. So they had um, around WrestleMania, I believe they had um, Goldust and Razor Ramon in a storyline that had a lot of realism to it with Razor getting a new kind of like... Um, a like a sort of an edge to him and pardon the pun aware like he's coming out in jeans and a leather jacket and is more realistic so yeah um i can see how uh wwf were definitely going to change um after wrestlemania uh, and then obviously we'd have stone Cold of austin as well um coming in that june so yeah mm, okay i mean looking at january then obviously we're only at the start of january but take it as, as a snapshot right now what we've seen on, on this Nitro, what we've just seen on Starcade, in comparison to what you've seen with a change in attitude for January 96 and then potentially the Royal Rumble of 96. Because it wasn't a great Rumble, if I remember correctly. I mean, I marked out. You know, I, I'm sat here right now recording with, with a Shawn Michaels t-shirt on. So I loved seeing Shawn win the Rumble. But it wasn't a great event. As a direct comparison then, at this exact moment in time, January 1996, where do you rate the two companies in comparison, having watched everything that these companies have to offer around this time? I'm going with WSW because of the realism um, factor of it and uh, the fact that it just never stops when you turn on a Nitro, um, especially the last, I'd say the last four Nitros we've watched previous to this have just been just absolute bangers. Mm, yeah, I, I, I think that's a really good point about the never stopping thing. This Nitro in particular is a really good example. There's so much on the show, so many big names, but it, it flew by because the show's only what, 45, 50 minutes long, so 51 minutes or whatever it was anyway. But so much happens. And at the end of it, I'm like, whoa, okay. I almost had to take a breath because I've watched this really intense hour of television and it's so much wrestling as well. Really good wrestling. And then and even, the, even the stuff that isn't as good with Hogan kind of makes you think, I want to see what happens next week to develop the storyline more. I think they're ticking a great deal of boxes here. Yeah, they really are. And they give you a reason to watch um, the next Nitro every end of the episode, which is just um, really good as well. Yeah, it's, it's good television, isn't it? It's a, it's a, it's a good way of doing television because you want people to come back next week, I guess. So, yeah, yeah, really interesting. We'll have to do that every now and again with regards to, to uh, a change in attitude and the, the WWF watch back and so on. Just, just check in and see what's going on on the other channel and see what you're thinking in comparison of the two products. I'll be really interested in sort of touching base on that a lot more often, I think, Danny. Yeah, I look forward to that. Yeah, excellent stuff. Anyway, back in Georgia in 96, we have a very hot crowd. Flair, as we said, does his Flair stuff and works the knee. Eventually gets a figure four on Hogan. Jimmy Hart turns up and starts yelling for Rick to, to you know, um, well, I suppose management and encouragement, I guess. Um, Hart turning up distracts Hogan. But then we have a really cool delayed vertical suplex by Flair. Almost like how the Bulldog used to sort of hold his opponent up in the position for ages. It was quite a sight seeing Ric Flair in 1996 holding a massive Hulk Hogan above his head like that for as long as he did. Um, but, of course, we get Hogan shaking and quivering and hulking up and pointing the finger and the big boot and then the leg drop and this oh my god here we go again but here comes arn to save the day <laughs> and arn runs in basically he's getting the brass knucks ready again 
but we end up with Hogan basically destroying the whole of the four horsemen. We have so many people running in to the match as well. I mean, who's there, Danny? I think the giant shows up. Yep, the giant, the Zodiac, the Taskmaster, um, and I just want to point this out. I mean, it's going to be on my woo, but um, the moment when um, the four horsemen were begging for, it looked like they were begging for their life, really ruined um, this match for me, to be honest with you. I mean, it was a good match, but, uh, well, if you count the aftermath of it, that that just Mm. didn't age well. It's almost like... In the last couple of weeks, the horsemen have gained a bit of momentum. So Hogan has come back and thought, nope, not having that, nipping that in the bed right now. It's almost like it's almost like that could be someone's train of thought, Danny, I reckon. It could be. It could be. But like what frustrated me most about it was the all four of them were on their knees and they yeah. had fear in their eyes. And there's just Hulk Hogan with a pair of brass knuckles or whatever that was on his um, hand. And it was like four grown men just sat there, just almost crying, almost in tears. Like, please don't hear us. Please don't hear us. Mm. And it just took me out of it. Yeah, totally. Totally. I, mean, I suppose there's two ways of looking at it for me. Uh, well, first of all, you said four grown men. It's not just four grown men. It's it's the four horsemen, the most devious, backstabbing, uh, uh, violent at times group in professional wrestling, all cowering from the mighty orange one. That didn't sit right with me at all. I hated that. But there's two ways of looking at it for me. One, on the night, it got a big pop. The, the fans in attendance loved this. Now, Flair kept his world championship because of the big schmozzy finish at the end. So we didn't see Flair lose the world title. Well, I say we didn't see Flair lose the world title. We didn't see the world title at all. But we, didn't, but we didn't see Flair lose the world title, which is a good thing for me. Hogan gets the big crowd pop as the fan favorite, standing over the villains, I suppose, and they're all being terrified of him and so on. On the night, it gets a reaction. So those people go home happy. In the long run, I'm not sure it is a good tool to use because, again, the horsemen at this vicious pack of attack dogs, this this group of hounds that, you know, gang up on the opposition and so on. They're made to look quite weak here. After all the good work we've had earlier in this show and again at Starcade, that one moment made me think, oh, OK, that's kind of not the wind out of their sails a little bit, potentially. Yeah, I could see that as well. Mm. yes okay i mean after the match we have an interview randy savage has come down as well we have savage and hogan with mean gene basically ranting and raving and doing their usual savage hogan shtick of one of them has to get the last word in but then the other one wants to get the last word in and the interview goes on for about an hour longer than it needs to someone literally needs to just cue them to say both of you shut up now you know because it seems like they're adamant that they have to say the last thing we end up with a challenge for next week Savage and Hogan wants to face Flair and Anderson in the main event in a tag match, which I'm I'm quite intrigued by. I think that could be that could be some good watching. That, you know, classic heels versus the two potentially two of the three biggest baby faces in the company at this point. That that could make for a good main event, Danny. Yeah, it really is an exciting um, announcement because anytime Arn Anderson's announced for a main event, I'm always happy. And I know you are, so yes, <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> Ah, so then, a lightning-quick Nitro. Well, it felt lightning-quick. It wasn't. It was the same length as most weeks, but it felt lightning-quick because there's so much that went on. I suppose we better give our ratings ourselves, Danny. So our plus points, our negatives, our pros and our cons, our woos and our oh-brothers, my friend. Woo! 
brother, 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 brothers, brother, woo! Brother. First or second this week, Danny? I'll go first this week, sir. Okay, uh, something positive or something negative? Where are we going? Uh, we're going with Rue this week. Okay. So, my Rue this week is Chris Benoit versus William Regal. Well, Steve, Lord Stephen Regal. Um, that was just... If you... If you um, don't count the finish. Um, it was an excellent match, and I really enjoyed it. Um, what's yours, uh, sir? My woo this week is quite simply, and there's a few moments I could pick out a name, but I've literally got written in front of me here: woo, Arn being Arn. In in his match, in his interviews, in the way he cut Pillman off with what Pillman was act- was behaving and acting, and basically saying to Pillman, "No, this is the way the horsemen operate. You listen to me." Yeah, Arn being Arn, just Arn Anderson is an absolute diamond here. He's just fantastic. What about something of a slightly less favourable stature? Your old brother, my friend. Oh, it definitely has to be the four horsemen cowering um, to Hulk Hogan. Because as I, as we was talking about just there, I kind of thought, yeah, I see your point about um, it got a big pop. But I think this could have been saved till after the cameras switched off and then have it for the live audience. So when they go home... I mean, because, I mean, the, to me, the four horsemen had their balls cut off right here. I mean, hopefully they can come back next week, but we shall see, Si. Um, what's your uh, old brother of the week? Exactly the same. My old brother is Hogan wiping out the four horsemen and the horsemen then carrying to Hogan. It's it's not a good look. And I don't, I think it's, I think it's somebody's ego running wild, so to speak, pardon the pun. I think it's somebody who... Obviously, Bischoff is a Hogan guy, of course he is, but I don't think they're looking at the bigger picture here. I think they're looking at the immediate reaction as opposed to the bigger picture. And the way you worded that, the horseman effectively had their balls cut off right in front of us. That is such an apt and perfect way of explaining exactly what we saw here. It really did uh, weaken the horseman at that moment for me. But there we go. There we go. It wouldn't be an episode of WCW Nitro if we didn't have a little, at least a little gripe about the great orange one. So then, Danny, hit, miss or middling? What are we thinking this week? I'm going hit with this week. Um, so how about you? Yes, exactly the same. So many great matches. Great episode of Nitro. Even the Hogan crap couldn't ruin this for me. Hit, 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 mate. Great episode. So there we go. That concludes this first episode of 1996 WCW for us here on Nitro Nights. Plenty of exciting things to come. Our first Clash of the Champions. Uh, a couple of people turning up from elsewhere shall we say title changes galore pay-per-views etc etc really looking forward to this next 12 months of wcw television danny before we depart my friend do you want to let everybody know whereabouts they can find you all the other shows you're involved in uh, and all that good stuff my friend yep you can find me on twitter at scottish juggalo you can hear me on a change in attitude you can hear me on One Man's Meets, and you can hear me here next week where we'll be talking about Nitro again, Si. We will indeed, mate. We've a pretty much a fantastic-looking main event. We will indeed. You can find me on Twitter at SJP Words, and on Facebook there is a group there, SJP, all the shows and info. And from those two points of contact, you get all the links to the various shows I'm involved in. If wrestling is your thing, which I imagine it would be if you're listening to us right now, Otherwise, that'd be a bit confusing, wouldn't it? Chain Wrestling is live every Monday night via the Radio Techers YouTube and Twitch channels. 
and comes out as a podcast version later in the week, if you miss the live on a Monday. If science fiction, time travel, geekiness is more your bag, I mean, it's definitely mine, I cover two classic old-school science fiction time travel programs. I look at the show Quantum Leap with our good friend Mr. Benny Mac on The Waiting Room out every Friday, looking back on that one episode at a time. And I also look at Doctor Who, story by story, jumping around from classic Who to new Who and back again with our good friend Mr. Dan Griffin. But as I said, uh, at SJP Words on Twitter or SJP, all the shows and info on Facebook to find links to any of my content. But most importantly, you can find this show on Twitter and Facebook at Nitro underscore Nights at Nitro underscore nights on both of those formats there i want to give a big special thank you to radio techers who carry this show and also our second home our new home visionaries global media putting us out on their soundcloud and their their network as well always grateful to have these platforms putting our shows out for people to listen to and as, as a secondary thank you i guess many people tweeting the show dming the show talking about wcw from you know what, what we're on best part of 30 years ago i guess it's very humbling knowing that we have that many people listening to what we're doing that many people enjoying what we're doing and of course that many people watching along with us that blows my mind that people are taking the time to watch dungeon of doom matches just so they can go and listen to our you know they they sat through the zodiac wrestle so they can come and listen to our podcast afterwards so from me personally a huge thank you to anyone who is watching along and getting involved with us danny yeah same here um it just it's it's mind-blowing isn't it just that who would want to sit through the zodiac matches <laughs> thank you all <laughs> yes exactly apart from the zodiac not thank you at all um <laughs> danny it's been a blast mate i'm looking forward to next week already same here so i'll see you next week excellent stuff and to everyone else as always thank you for listening <laughs>